After that introduction, I'm almost expecting someone else to stand up. <coughs> um, David is, uh, is very kind. Um, I think there's a lot of Irish in him because he's got the gift of, uh, of Blarney. <laughs> it is a thrill to be here, uh, to be back home in a sense. This is where it all began for me in many ways. Uh, it is right here that I got married uh, many years ago. Um, and it's, uh, there's, it's kind of a, a mixed feeling of uh, people that I've known and professors that I studied with who are now gone to glory and new faces. Um, I miss some of the old ones. Uh, will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer, and we love you. We want to serve you. We want to be your people. Help us in that regard, we pray, that Jesus Christ might be honored and glorified, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. I want us to ponder the words of John chapter 12, in particular verse 28, though I'm reading from verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose I have come to this hour. And then my text. Father, glorify your name. And then the voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Pause with me for a moment, if you will, on that prayer. Father, glorify your name. Here is Jesus in Jerusalem. It is the final week of his earthly life. His hour had come. We read in verse 23 that he knew that his hour had come. Death stirred him vacantly in the face. James Stewart reminds us of the inevitable thoughts racing through his haunted mind. The ignominy of a cross. The revulsion of public execution. The horrendous agony of the crucifixion itself. Here, writes Bengal, met the horror of death with the ardor of obedience. Only one thing seemed to, be, to matter at this point, and it is articulated in that prayer. Father, glorify your name. And the marvelous, lovely, beautiful thing about this text is that God could not keep silent. Like Jesus when he stood and didn't sit during the martyrdom of Stephen. Like a mother caring for her distraught, sorrowing child. Like a father urging and encouraging his son. Heaven articulated its reply. I have glorified it, but I'm going to glorify it again. 
From the moment the angels first announced his coming with the great Te Deum of heaven, throughout the Galilean ministry, the healing of the sick, the the raising of the dead, the teaching of the apprehensive, the praying with the disillusioned, every gracious words he had ever spoken, every kindness he had ever shown, the winsomeness of his appeal to the common people, the smile that warmed cold hearts, the mercy in which he sought the lost, the power that had broken the prison house of sin, God was glorifying himself in all those shining, wonderful moments of our Lord Jesus. And now with the sinister shadow of the cross facing Jesus, he articulates his plaintive cry. Father, the only important thing now for me, will you glorify your name. And I love the response from heaven. Don't you know, son, my beloved son, that I have glorified it? Don't you know that? And I'm going to glorify it yet again. I'm going to glorify it in the incomparable redemptive death that you will suffer. I'm going to glorify it in the exhilaration of a glorious resurrection, such that forever and for all time, the shadow of Christ's cross will demonstrate forever and always that evil does not and will not have the final word. But I want to reflect with you on what that prayer, what such a prayer might mean for us today. Father, Glorify your name. Many of us have been watching the events of these past months, weeks, and months that have happened here in Wilmore, longing to have been here in many ways. You've had the privilege of witnessing a movement of God. You've seen many stumbling in the darkness who found light and hope in Jesus Christ. People here have given their lives to Christ in a new way. They've dedicated their lives in the service of the King. Many have prayed for strength to cope and have received it. Many have experienced time and again the presence of a reality beyond anything they could possibly have imagined in these days. It's important now to tell and retell the story. One of my favorite films, movies, was the musical Camelot. Probably old enough now for most of you not not even to know that it existed. (laughs) But there is a marvelous closing scene in that movie when King Arthur knights a youngster named Thomas and sends him back to England to tell the story of Camelot. And and as as the, the movie moves towards its crescendo and to its climax and to its ending, you hear the chorus of people singing the song. Each evening from December to December, before you drift to sleep upon your cot, 
Think back on all the tales that you remember of Camelot. Ask every person if he's heard the story and tell it strong and clear if he has not, that once there was a fleeting wisp of glory called Camelot. Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment that was known as Camelot. Need I remind you of one brief shining moment that was known as Calvary? And I love that well-worn hymn of Catherine Hankey. We've sung it so many times. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. You see, to become sedentary, to become weary, to become nostalgic would be a denial of that prayer of Jesus as he faced the cross, as he trod the path to Calvary. Because God is not finished by any stretch yet. The spiritual force which you witnessed in these past days vitalizing the church has not exhausted its energy. It is ready to be unleashed once more on a pagan world with power to transform the human condition. Believe that. But it's not going to be easy. Recall with me, if you will, the encounter Moses had with God on Mount Sinai. This passage, which David mentioned, I spent three years looking at in great detail. The effect of that encounter with God indelibly etched its way onto Moses' face. And even the Apostle Paul, using that as an illustration... You remember as he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, and we beholding the glory of God, we ourselves are being changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. There is nothing decaying about this grace. It is still reaching out to the future, still stronger than the enemy. This irresistible music of the redeemed flooding the world. But as you know from Exodus 32, the world at the base of Sinai was oblivious to God's visitation. They were busy building a golden calf to appease a restless congregation. And that is precisely what you will discover when you leave the environments of this place of sanctification. And you will find it insidiously sculptured into the very lifeblood of the church. And you will notice that even church leaders will be complicit in the denial of biblical holiness. Oh, good people, no doubt, but appeasers nonetheless. Trading adherence to biblical authority for status and acceptance by a broken world. 
That was true of the leadership of Aaron when Moses went up the mountain. Her was left there as well. We, we, we never know, know what ever happened to her. Jewish tradition tells us that he opposed the building of the golden calf and the people murdered him as a result. I'd like to think maybe that was true. But Aaron was complicit. I threw the gold into this fire and guess what, Moses? Out came this golden calf. How pathetic is that? And here is Moses, the bearer of the law, carrying with him the demands of a holy God, written for the well-being, the shalom of society. And Exodus 20 to 23 reminds us of the items pertaining to everyday living, social responsibility, justice, mercy. And Moses encountered these very, these very laws being flaunted before his eyes. And the need arising for a clarion call for judgment and reconciliation. I was once told in this very institution that one cannot fully grasp how glorious is the good news unless we see it against the backdrop of the bad news. Of sin and degradation. You will encounter that when you leave the aura of Wilmore, Kentucky. Need I remind you that Moses gained his strength by returning frequently to the source of his power. Paul talks about that. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the power belongs not to us but to God. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. When we spend time with God, we exude an indefinable aura. Not a shining face like Moses, perhaps, but something. A conduit. Something different that the world recognizes as distinct and unwinsome. A magnet that will draw people to the Savior. So this is your challenge. As many of us have noticed our, ter our hair turning white, or in David's case, losing it all together. <laughs> we pass the baton to you. It may be that it was ministry was, ministry is, was never easy, but perhaps it was easier for us than it is going to be for you. The challenge is more difficult than ever. I encourage you to face it bravely. I love those words of Matthew Arnold when he says, For the world that lies before you hath really neither hope nor certitude nor help for pain. And we're here as on a darkling plain swept with confused alarms of struggle and fright where ignorant armies clash by night. But don't despair. In Exodus 23, the last part of the chapter, verses 20 through 31, God gives his people incredible promises in the face of apostasy and belligerence. He promises protection. He promises success. He promises confusion to those who will oppose you. 
He promises to establish your ministry. You see, there is no end to the immeasurable grace of God flooding over the mountaintops. Father, do it again. Glorify your name. And if in a weary world you have ears to hear the echo of the whisper of heaven reply, don't you know I have glorified it? But I'm going to glorify it again. I've always been struck by Wordsworth's plaintive cry to Milton when he writes in one of his poems, Milton Thou shouldst be living at this hour. England has need of thee. <laughs> My beloved, America has need of you. With boldness and resolve to herald the good news of Jesus in season and out of season. From the pulpits and classrooms across this great nation. From the universities and market squares, because God wants to do it again. He wants to go beyond everything that He's done before. He wants to expose you to wonder upon wonders and every wonder true. He wants to enable you to face any eventuality that lies ahead and to conquer it in the name of Christ. He wants you to make any sacrifice, face any foe, break any tie that Christ might be all in all. May I finish on a personal note with a specific challenge to gaze beyond these shores to hear the call of a world without Christ. For some of you versed in inductive Bible study, we have opportunities in our mission which we're going to talk about over lunch. We invite you to that. I have a friend who works for the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students who asked, asked me to tell you that he's putting together evangelistic teams in Europe this summer. You can serve two weeks, three weeks, four weeks in places like Greece and Bosnia, Montenegro, Bulgaria. For those who may be willing to give even more than a year or a year, I have the assurance of, Mel of Methodist pulpit ministry in my beloved homeland. Let me finish with a, an illustration. On the last cold day, in December, the year 406, the Rhine River froze, allowing the Barbary, those whom we call the barbarians, to invade Rome. Rome collapsed within the span of four brief years, and a new world was born. It wasn't a good world. It wasn't a pleasant world, it was a world of chaos, a world of confusion, not unlike the world in which you will be going to minister. It was 
a world of instability, of brigands and slavery. Europe was plunged into what became known as the Dark Ages. But as I look out the window of my apartment in Ireland and gaze across the water to the, the hills of Antrim, I remember on those windswept hills a young slave discovered God. His name, Patrick. He was able, managed to escape from slavery, from his slave lord, and returned to England, which, by the way, was his home. I hate to admit that St. Patrick really was an Englishman and not an Irishman. <laughs> but later, Patrick heard the, the Macedonian call of the Irish. We beg you, come and walk amongst us one more was the voice that he heard in the quietness of his heart. Patrick returned to minister in that western outpost of Europe. And history now hails him as a man who saved not only western civilization, but who kept Christianity aflame and alive during the Dark Ages. Today, ubiquitous neo-barbarianism stands as their precursors stood on the banks of the Rhine 1,600 years ago, proclaiming the death of God and the irrelevance of Christianity today. In my homeland, churches are empty, pulpits are vacant. And if ever the West needs another Patrick, it is nigh. As I gaze across the earth, I see evidence of the worship of the golden calf. A world that has lost its moral compass. A world of economic ineptness. Of political corruption. Of religious intolerance of ethnic vulgarities, of societal vicissitudes, of moral and economic collapse. Thomas Cahill, in his book, concludes with these words. If our civilization is to be saved, it will be saved by saints. It will be saved by men and women sold on the gospel. It will be saved by men and women who dare to pray, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. And to hear those gracious words of heaven's response. Don't you know I have glorified it? But I'm going to glorify it again.
Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you at one of the worst moments in his entire life and ministry. As he he faced the inevitability of the cross. Was so obedient that he prayed, Father, the only thing in life and in death that is important. Is that you glorify your name. Wow, what a prayer. Because God had so often, Father, you had so often glorified it in his life and ministry. And you're going to do it again in the cross. Father, as we face ministry in the United States, We face ministry around the world. A world that is desperately in need of you as we heard in the prayer earlier in this service. A prayer, a world at our doorstep and beyond our doorstep that is in dire trouble. A world that has lost its way. Father, we dare to pray Will you do it again? Will you glorify your name? And Father, we know already how you will answer. You will answer us as you answered our Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear the voice of heaven. Don't you know I have glorified it? But I'm going to do it again. Use us to that end, we pray, that your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask all this in the precious name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.